The Blockbusters Podcast is proud to be a member of the Pod Bros Network. You can find us as well as other fantastic podcasts such as Pencil and Ink Review, Another Damn Trivia Show, and The Language of Bromance at podbros.com, as well as on most other fine podcasting services. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to share and enjoy the Blockbusters Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Film for Thought, and this one's a bit of a special one. I came up with this idea a little while ago to have people on from other podcasts and have them talk about their favorite film or a film that they hate or both, (laughs) and someone actually agreed to do it, and he's here right now. It is on a night from the Soiled Retron Cinema podcast. How are you doing, sir? I am great. I'm sober. Um, <laughs> so, man, <laughs> you're catching me at it. You're catching me. I don't know if you're catching me at a good time or not, but uh, but uh, mm-hmm. great it to be here. Uh, I guess I'm the guinea pig. Yes, you are, and uh, so it's a cute little guinea pig you are as well. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Oh, no problem. All right, so I think we'll start with the film that you like. I do not know what this is, so I'm going to try and guess the genre that okay. you have picked. I'll probably be completely wrong, but I think this will be interesting. Nope. So based on what little I know about you, I'm going to say it's either an action film or a Western film. Those are two good choices. Uh, action film is probably my favorite genre. Action adventure, I should say. Uh, films are my favorite genre films to watch. So you're, n- you're not off the mark on that. However, it's neither one of those, believe it or not. Okay, what is it then? It's actually the horror genre. We're going to dip into the horror genre. Okay. Wait, uh, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I was just going to say there's a lot of classic horror films and there's a lot of really good recent ones. So I'm not sure what it's going to be. So you may as well put me out of my misery. What did you pick? Well, there's also a lot of bad ones, too. And if you listen to our show, (laughs) you know we flushed quite a few of those. So Yes, you have. (laughs) This time we get to turn the tables and give you something good. I went with uh, 1973, The Legend of Hell House, which I consider Uh, the best haunted house film uh, ever done, believe it or not. I'm going to put this one uh, above and beyond. Have you seen this one, Paul? I haven't even heard of this. Oh, one, excellent. Well, there you go. See, that's the whole damn point of your show, isn't it? Uh- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So why don't you sell me on this? Why should I see this film? I should have, well, if you're a fan of the horror genre, you would definitely see it. If you're a fan of haunted house films, you should absolutely see it. And we, we've there are a lot of classic haunted house films that come to mind. Poltergeist is the more modern one back in, in 1983. That's what kind of everybody knows. There's the... The Haunting of Hill House, uh, which is way back in the day, even before this one, which a lot of people you know, accredit that. There's the Movie House, which came out in 1985, which was more a comedic take on that. Uh, we've seen a lot of haunted house films, and they, they vary in degree, and, and, like, and they're all very good in their own right. But they're, they're, there's just one that's actually – but none of them are terrifying. That was the problem. None of them are really terrifying to get under your skin, and this is the one that does. The 1973 Legend of Hell House is directed by John Howe, but more importantly, it's written by an author named Richard Matheson, who is uh, a novelist, and it's based on his film, uh, or his uh, novel, I should say, called Hell House. 
Uh, and he's written, if you look up his credits, he's written for everything from Twilight Zone to Night Gallery. He's got a long history of, uh, of horror and science fiction writing over the course of the years. Um, I don't know that much about horror from this era, so it's going to be interesting to hear about this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's a British film. This is a completely British production, and I forget the British... Uh, uh, company's name that produces i'm sorry it was no academy <laughs> pictures corporation i'm sorry it was academy pictures corporation this is one of these early 70s british films that are just creepy just by looking at it these are the ones that turned up on your tv you know at 11:30 at night after the new, nightly news and you know if you happen to be up and the only thing that was on was was these films that they had licensed and then local stations would just put them on this was that kind of film um i don't even know if it played well in the theater when it came out in 73 but it comes from a long line of british films there was ha- amicus uh films there was the hammer horror films it, it's in that same kind of vein but it was just a different production company yeah i was was gonna say i think most people are going to be familiar with hammer because that's the most iconic horror coming out of england in that era from that time especially you got christopher lee and the like being in that side so yeah, I, I again, I can't say I've heard of that production company either. So no, this is no. completely new to me. Ah, completely new to me. Uh, so like I said, it's based on Richard Matheson's classic novel, which was called Hell House. And the film concerns four paranormal investigators, kind of like Ghostbusters in a sense, who are contracted uh, by an eccentric millionaire. Basically, somebody hires them to find the evidence of life after death in the famous Blasco mansion in the film. Uh, and, the, and the line that sets it up is... When um, the the lead the lead team leader is talking to the millionaire who hires him, the millionaire says uh, it's considered to be the Mount Everest of haunted houses. That's how that's the line he drops, and that's what sells it. Because man, when you see after the film, you really agree with that statement, and that's what really caught me in the film. Like, because all these haunted house films have are haunted for different reasons, and it, to varying degrees, where there's demon possession, or you know, built over an Indian burial ground, or just uh, you know from a comedic standpoint uh, in the house, I should say. But here, like they're saying, this this is the one. This is the one, the one single house uh, that is the the scariest or biggest or most haunted, whatever you however you want to classify that. So that's what catches your first thought. It's kind of cool. I mean, I know of say House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, that's You've yeah, got that the, was made. Yeah, because although that one, I believe when you're watching it, you're never one hundred percent sure if it's actually haunted or if it's entirely in the main character's mind with the. And then the remake completely got rid of that. So uh, exactly, but, but yeah, there's a specific reason, and I'll go into. It. Let me just uh, zip through here, and I'll give you the the overview here. So the team consists of there's a physicist, uh, Clive Revell, uh, a famous British actor, plays the physicist. That's the team leader. His wife uh, is along with him. Gail Honeycutt is the actress who plays that. Uh, there's a mental medium uh, by the name of Pamela Franklin. Uh, who's very good in this. And then there's the physical medium. So you got two mediums. you got a mental medium. The physical medium is played by, Jesus, the late, great Roddy McDowell. Uh, oh, wow. And he's also the only surviving, the character is the only surviving member of the team that, of the team that investigated a house 20 years prior. He's the only guy that made it out. There was another four or five person team, and he's the only guy who survives this. So they have to enlist him to, to actually take them back through the house because uh, they're looking for a scientific proof of life after death. Uh, and what begins is just a simple scientific investigation eventually descends into a fight for survival as the investigators like seek to uncover the mystery of the haunted house as well as keeping their own sanity and their lives in check as they go along. See, this is this is the amazing thing about this. It's not it's not just a ha- the house has a very specific reason for being haunted. It's that's not so much a, a horror story, you know, a, a, spoo- a boo scary story as it is a mystery. 
and why the so when you get when you get to the end of the film, there's a legitimate reason why why all this is happening, and it's solved. The mystery there's a mystery that is to be solved. It's like um, a Scooby Doo mystery in a sense, but there's no, <laughs> you know, it is. It, it it's kind of like a live action Scooby Doo, but there's no there's no fucking talking dog, um, or Shaggy yeah. for that matter. But. Well, yeah, I mean, that that probably would have pushed it a little into the comedy genre, and I don't think that was sound like what they were going for. No. <laughs> and, uh, and definitely not unintended comedy like the remake of House on Haunted Hill. So. Exactly, exactly. Uh, also, this is not, and I said before, I'm going to say this again, this is not a boo-scary haunted house. This is not a jump-scare movie, movie. This film falls into its own category because it's elaborately constructed atmosphere that overwhelms you with feelings of unease and dread from the first moment you set eyes on it. This is a dead serious film. This is the one that crawls under your skin and stays there after long after the, red, uh, you know, the end credits. Um like I said, Matheson wrote the screenplay based on his own novel. He knew the source material. Richard Matheson wrote the screenplay that was based on his own novel. And he had to tone down some of the more extreme uh, sexual elements of the book to make it to even get the rating to do this as a film. Um, but it doesn't lessen the impact of the film. Uh, everything's kind of more of implied here that makes rather than actually shown. This is, uh, I should say, direct, director, of course, was John Howe. Um, so basically, the exteriors were done in a place called uh, White Crest Park, East Sussex. And again, it's atmosphere as soon as you've seen the exterior of the house. Uh, the interiors were done on a soundstage, and that's even more ominous. Now, we're talking like dark wool moldings, statues, barely lit passageways, cobwebs. I mean, really haunted mansion type shit, you know, from the ride. This creates such a convincing interior that you instantly know that evil has long resided within these walls, even when there's nothing special effects-wise happening on screen. You don't even want to be in this film for the entire for five minutes, I should say, much less than the entire 95-minute running time. Like I said, there's not that many practical effects in the film. There is no boo scare state. There's a couple good sequences, but most of this is performance and atmosphere. That's what sells the film. It's just dread, literally. It's 95 minutes of dread when you watch this film. It is not, like I said, this is not like a, a roller coaster ride that people blow through and come out and say, woo, that was kind of fun where you come out, you know, uh, exhilarated this is not that film this is a dead serious film and it is very scary just based on the set locations and the actors you know inhabiting that space well i think you have successfully sold me on this film i'm gonna have to go (laughs) look this one up do you happen to know if it's available on streaming anywhere or would i have to go and get a physical copy it is you're gonna have to get a physical oh no i'm sorry it is available on streaming on amazon video uh so you can check it out on there it probably is on youtube Uh, they have a and you can get a dvd copy for like like six bucks it's actually very uh easy to get a hold of and i highly recommend yes you uh, if you, you haven't seen a horror film until you've seen that i will say that michael go uh, Alfred the Butler from the early Batman films with Michael Keaton uh, is yeah. actually in this film. Uh, oh, okay. So you're going to have a young Pennyworth in there. Uh, yeah, well, younger. He looks about the same, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, I mean, maybe that's why he ended up working for Batman. He wanted slightly less uh, less trouble in his life. Uh, so well, without spoilers or anything for those people that now want to go and see this, do you happen to have a favorite moment or scene from the film, uh, the, the some of the practical effect scenes are really good, but it's the it's honestly it's the reveal at the end. It's the aha moment when you find out what's causing the possession, what's causing all the hauntings in the house. It's a specific aha moment. It's kind of a mind blower because, like I said, it's a mystery. It's a, there's a specific reason. And that's what I love about this these type of films. I like it when it the haunting or the possession is act you know is adequately explained. The re- the lot of, you get a lot of these stupid-ass haunted houses where it's just generic evil. It's just shit flying around for no reason. You never understand, like, where it came from, where it's going, 
uh, you know, sufficiently so. But this film actually has it, clo- you know, it has a, it has closure. The film actually, believe it or not, after they go through this entire ordeal, uh, have closure. And, uh, and I'm going to say, I, I want to cite performance wise, real quick, Roddy McDowell, who sells the whole thing. His this is one of his best performances he's ever done. Uh, and folks, right. you can go research that. It's a, it's a really, really good, completely convincing performance of this man who's literally hanging on the edge of sanity um, to, you know, to have to go back to this house, which he barely got out to begin with. It, he is a class act. And this is, you know, like aside from this and Planet of the Apes and there's a couple of the films that he's done. This is an underrated performance. Nobody saw this film. Uh, I think maybe, maybe not even at the time and now it's just barely gets a mention. And so uh, that's why we, would, we were doing this and you said, you know, give me your one best film. This is, I could have done, you know, uh, 10 other ones that are easily that I remember that I know by heart. But this one, I always try to champion because not, not people, not many people can really dig into really good horror films and really good haunted house films. It's a very specific genre. This is one of them. This is the one I consider. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking as you were talking about the fact that it's actually got a, I guess, a satisfying ending is the fact that Scary Movie 2 actually kind of does it better than most modern haunting films, which is, as you just said, it is just evil. Oh, no, stay away, yes. evil. <laughs> yeah, 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 with the creepy voice. Yeah, yeah, it's just generic evil, and that's why you get sick of But there's a sense of closure with this film, and that's the great thing. About, and there's no... There's no after credit scene or nothing. There's no boo scary jump out at the last minute. This is like I said, it's not a boo scare film. The, when the film ends, it's done. But and but you you're completely satisfied at the ending because you understood everything that was happened, and so did the characters. And you kind of find that the character, you know, you're not you don't get ahead of the characters. You actually they discover it as you discover it. You know, you guys are together on that journey. So it, it there's you know, you're not way ahead of the the cast. And you're not waiting for everyone to get killed or anything like that. Uh, you're with them, you know, start to finish. All right, well, yeah, that, that does sound like a lot of fun. I will definitely have to look that up. And the only other question I had actually kind of is pointless at this point then, because I was saying, assuming there's no sequel to this film, would you want one? And if you would, what would you want to see happen? Yeah, yeah, there there was no sequel. We've seen variations on this. Uh, I always thought maybe this was a good one to get remade. But after the after like the haunting, I think was remade. Um, I, that that kind of killed it for me because you know you, you take a classic on that and then completely fuck it up. I think Owen Wilson got his head knocked off in that that one, which was I mean, come on, I, yeah, that, 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 that one, was, yeah, that was out of control, CG nightmare, and that's what I think what happened here. I think because you can't do this film today because it's it relies too much on atmosphere and performance, and and a lot of these studios want the bang for their buck. They want the CGI ghost, you know, they want walls exploding, blood flowing everywhere, and this is really not that film. So. You, they would really kind of, you know, uh, descend into that. I think we'd be running into trouble. Uh, but as far as sequels, the, like I said, you can, you, there have been variations on this where they've had sequels. The Conjuring comes to mind because uh, these are the you know, paranormal investigators that go around to different areas, you know, and um, investigate different uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually how I would describe it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. We can go spooky shit. But... Yeah. Okay. There we go. Spooky <laughs> shit. <laughs> so well okay let's assume that you want it remade is can you think of anyone you would cast for now to play these characters oh yeah the key one is uh, seriously the roddy mcdowell character um and that's a good that's a that's a tricky one to do um i think michael fassbender comes to mind as of late you have to have an actor that can kind of really disappear in the character uh and pull off the in, in insanity and he's done some really good work um so you know yes, he has yeah so yeah he would be he would be on the list uh, but anyway, the are pretty much entertained. You know, you can go with all British actors. They, you know, if they did it now, it would probably take place in America. 
the original novel was set in America. It was actually set in New England. And uh, when they adapted this for the film, they, it was a British production, so it was moved to England, which actually works in better in his favor. Honestly, the British accents and the, uh, the exterior location in uh, England that they shot at and then the sound stages works much better, I think, than it would have been in New England House, which we've seen before. Uh, Amityville Horror, I think, would be one. Well, yeah, and also there are houses in England that are older than America. So, yeah, since you're going for old spooky, uh, you can't go much better than England. No, you definitely can't. <laughs> All right, well, cool. I've got a film I need to look up later. All right, so how about we move from a film you really, really like into a film you don't? And I'm not even going to bother guessing the genre for this one because it really could be anything. There's a lot of bad films out there. So (laughs) what have you gone with then? Uh, you would think it would be easy because our show deals with bad films every week. We uh, end up flushing bad films. And honestly, this was actually a lot tougher because the films uh, that we do on the show are we use as a just a, a baseboard, you know, base uh, – a basement level for a jumping off point on, on making funny and doing comedy from that that comes out of that. So when it came to actually coming up with a real shitty film that I was really disappointed, one we haven't flushed, it was a bit more of a challenge. But I got to go with uh, it's along the same lines. It's not a haunted house film, but it is kind of in that genre of monsters and scary stuff. 2004's Van Helsing, starring uh, oh, Hugh Jackman, okay. all all leathered up. What the what the hell happened here? <laughs> I, I, this is Stephen Summers directed this, and I, I've liked some of his other stuff. Uh, Deep Rising, I think, is an underrated B movie. If anybody has uh, not seen that, I definitely I'm highly recommend that. It's a cute film, and he followed it up with The Mummy, which I thought was a pretty good reboot of The Mummy, uh, starring Brendan Fraser. Then, of course, they would blow it with The Mummy Return. So when it came time to do Van Helsing in 2004, I was kind of jazzed up because I thought he was going to go back and do something like fun action adventure that we had in The Mummy. But no, this this it completely goes off the deep end right off the bat. Uh, including a ridiculously looking Hugh Jackman, uh, leathered up with a stupid hat and coat like he's in a video game. And then, yeah, and, and tons of CGI and monsters. But it, it, I could forgive all of it if it was just, it was fun. But it also, what really sinks the film is actor uh, Richard Roxborough, uh, who was in Moulin Rouge, who it goes completely banana nuts in the role of Dracula. He was. It was like doing a road show of Rocky Horror Picture. I don't know what the hell he was thinking, because Summers just told him to go do whatever he want, and he pretty much did. So he's in his own movie, which is hysterical to watch uh, right off the bat. Kate Beckinsale didn't want to be there the entire time. She had she was had issues with the costumes. Uh, she didn't like, and she should have been used to doing these type of stupid films coming from the Underworld series. Uh, yeah. She's terrible in this, uh, and everybody else, even the, the entire rest of the cast is uh, you know, there's a CGI Mr. Hyde at the beginning, and tons of CGI people flying around later on and the wolfman's all cgi it's an insanely bad film but this is kind of one of the films that i watch every now and then because i hope it gets better this is one of these hope it gets better films like you watch it a couple times you think well maybe it wasn't as bad as you remember and then you're like fuck it was as bad as i remember like you know you know you sober up and you're like oh and you feel robbed again because it's just it had potential to be a really great launch for a series and that's what it was supposed to be uh they even went so far as universal studios here in florida designed uh, a ride system that was that was they were going to base on Van Helsing that actually became the Harry Potter ride here. Uh, they were using to say it was a Kuka arm system that was supposed to be for Van Helsing the movie. But when the movie fucking tanked, it was a hundred and sixty million dollar budget. It only grossed one hundred and twenty here in the states. Uh, everything went south. So all the, all the new films they were going to do, there was a TV series that they were going to do with it as well that continued on. And then of course the ride, everything got tanked out. Uh, so there, yeah, I don't know where to go. If, you, if you've seen the film, folks, you know, you kind of know what to expect. 
Yes, um, I I remember watching this, and I think I was one of the people that, because I'm a very visual guy, I kind of enjoyed the style of it, and I paid less attention to the substance of which there wasn't much. So there was, there was a cartoon I, though. There was a, a, a there was a cartoon on this, right? There was a short cartoon that takes place. The events take place before this movie. There was a stylized yes, cartoon is. that I think Hugh Jackman did the voice. That was actually better. Like that, I could have bought like visually. But yes, yeah, yeah, some of the visual stuff you're right, and some of the weapons are fun. There's a Q type sequence with the weapons, but God damn it, everything just everything coming out of their mouth, and then it just and Summers just doesn't know how to stage proper action sequences, and that and later on, like it gets really messy between the blend of CGI and the wire work and the actors. Uh, everybody's on a green screen by the end of the movie. It starts looking like a like a Marvel film, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, and I also think it commits the cardinal sin in calling the monster Frankenstein. Because as pretty much everyone knows, the monster is called the monster. Frankenstein <laughs> is the doctor. <laughs> uh, yeah. And oh, well, they also changed the Hell Helsing's name from Abraham to Gabriel. They actually, yeah. Cause, and it yeah basically, I'm not sure why. Well, no, it was because Stephen Summers didn't believe that uh, Abraham was an action hero's name. He didn't think the audience would buy that, so he changed sir, the game. Gabriel, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, sir, you're talking about Stephen Summers, who's, uh, yeah, his, uh, he went and, didn't he do a G.I. Joe fucking movie? So his career Probably. is not, yeah, it's not too, too good. Uh, it's a mess. It really is a mess. But it's what, it's, I, I, I wish I could recommend it to be a fun, bad film. That's what I'm hoping for. I never, I watch it again, not for it to be a, a great film. I watch it every now and then, and hopefully it'll get to the fun, bad level, because we all have fun, bad movies. This doesn't quite make it. It just doesn't stick the landing. It's close. I think it's close, but I think because Richard Roxborough's fucking preening, you know, like he's like he's still doing Moulin Rouge for some reason, and some other elements. Uh, to see some of the CGI is badly composited, uh, even at 160 million dollars, it looks like shit. Um, you start running into a lot of, you know, that it it you know cuts it short from being a fun bad movie, and I think that's where that's where I'm most disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I do think the problem with horror films is they almost seem to need practical special effects to really work you've got films like the one that you were talking about earlier or say the howling there's a load of practical special effects and an american wealth in london it's mostly practical and then they only use touch-ups and then you started to get into the early 2000s and it was all special effects and barely any practical and that's just i think pretty much the entire 2000s there wasn't really a great film like that i mean uh, i don't remember if the league of extraordinary gentlemen was 2000 but that one was kind of my favorite of that genre of the time of, the, of these type of films i actually like that too I, I didn't initially but i've come back around to lxg and i think i think it's it's a better film than people make it out to be it definitely it does better than this mess i mean but it's, and it's <laughs> but it's along the same type of stuff with a lot of cgi and a lot of compositing with with a, a unique take on uh, classic you know characters from literature yeah and it, it's uh, actually come from a uh, graphic novel series so i recommend people go and look that up oh yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. pretty much anything except to see van helsing i guess yeah. <laughs> the problem is but you're what you're saying with the with the, so much layered in cgi is it, you you desensitize from that there's just so much it has no impact on you when you see it on screen because we're so used to it whereas in 1973 you know legend of hell house which i'll mention which has no cgi at all when the practical effects happen and let me tell you they do it's shocking it literally scares the shit out of you because 
you know, it's practical effects, and it comes out of nowhere. Like, so most of the film is basically atmosphere and performance, and then it hits you with the practical effects, and not CGI effects, practical stuff. And that leaves a more of an impact, and that's why I have the images of that. I can remember specific, you know, practical effects images from a ninth film that was done in 1973. I can barely remember anything from this film, which was done in 2004, because it's just a, a big CGI, you know, cum stain across the screen. I mean, it's, you know, for lack of a better term. Or maybe more, maybe that's the most accurate term you can look at. So edit as you will, sir. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, not hundred percent sure I can leave that one in. Uh, but <laughs> you know what? I think I will. Sorry. Well, no. <laughs> Uh, it is everything just starts to blend together. It's because it's it just doesn't have any impact. It's not layered. It's very soft, very malleable. But there's no hard edges to it. And I think that's where you where you where you, why you don't remember stuff you know like this. Well, then the only other question that I had for this side is how would you specifically, if someone handed you this film and said, "Okay, we want you to fix it," what would you do? Oh, practical. I would just, I would, I think it can be fixed. I don't think, I think the script needs some adjustment. Obviously, I would dial down Richard Roxburgh, just cast another actor as Dracula. He was, he was a little too much on that. I think, I I think it needs more atmosphere. Again, more practical. Uh, I think, and again, I'm going back to that. I think, but I think that could be achieved now. I think there's, uh, we have the technology. In fact, the computer software program that that was used for all the CGI and this nonsense was the same one they used for Lord of the Rings. This was actually the first film since Lord of the Rings to use that software. Hmm. So it's it's they had the technology to do it. And look how good Lord of the Rings holds up. I mean, because it's an amazing blend of, of CGI and practical and miniatures and all this other stuff. So that works. But when they got to here, they left off a lot of the stuff that they really should have used, you know, that was used in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And it's so weird to me, like, remembering what I do about Helsing, to think that Lord of the Rings and that film were made using the same software because... It's almost as if they didn't leave it to render enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and that could be from budgetary. I mean, it was a hundred seconds. Now, where the money go is is the other question. I'm guessing top, you know, top of the line budget for you know Hugh Jackman and Beckinsale because she was she was a hot property at the time. Maybe not so much now. Roxburgh was coming off Moulin Rouge, so he was in demand. So a lot of the budget went to that, and then a lot of it, I guess, went to that insane costume choices. <laughs> so I guess they pissed <laughs> away a lot of budget and those stupid weapons and all this other. It, like I said, there, there's a fun – also, it's not fun. I guess I should really mention that. They, they try some one-liners and some humor. What we needed was, was a lot more of that. If you can make, it a, make this type of fun, it'll sell. Like LXG, to a certain extent, is kind of fun because yeah. there, there's characters in there to crack wise and there's some fun stuff going on. So you kind of get behind those the characters. But, man, if it's all dead serious, except for an occasional lame one-liner from Jackman, who can pull that shit off as Wolverine, but he can't do it everywhere. He's not, he's not – he's talented, but even he has his limits, I think. Yeah, well, he he's obviously working within the script that he has, so there's only so much you can really do. And especially with, let's say, big-budget CG like action films, there's not much you can improvise with. And, well, and the problem is he was trapped between two roles because he had to, during his day off from shooting this movie, he was still doing X2. He'd have to go over there to finish up the end of that movie. So it was there was oh, a lot yeah. of bleed over, yeah, yeah. So they, they would, like, take his hair extensions out, <laughs> and then he'd go do Wolverine, and then they say stick it back on for this one when he came back to work on Monday. So that, and again, like I said, when you're when you're an actor, and you're not focused on just one specific character and project. When you have bleed over, when you're still doing other stuff, that that causes a problem too. Because you can tell he's not really there for most of the movie. He's just yeah. kind of just standing on a green screen and doing what they're telling him. But he's not he's not invested in that character at all. Yeah, and it it also might be as well. There are some actors who they can be great actors, but they just can't handle standing in front of nobody and 
the imagining that someone is there, even if you have someone wearing green from head to toe holding a ball on a stick in front of you. Like you just can't you need someone to act off of and maybe he's that way. He just he actually needed someone there. <laughs> yeah, he made it made because a lot of time he was alone in a lot of this uh, a lot of these scenes where he was you know the Mr. Hyde sequence at the beginning is, is completely CGI. Robbie Coltrane uh, portrayed the vo- gave the voice for that one. Um so yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe some actors are just uh just not built to to do uh CG work. Yeah, and obviously there's some CG and X-Men and stuff like that, but he is actually there with other people, so... Yeah, he's got human actors. He's, he's around, and uh, and everybody like Kate, Kate, him and Kate Beckinsale have no chemistry together in this film. Like I said, she didn't want to be there either. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a paycheck movie, and then Richard Roxborough's acting for all of them, basically, because his performance <laughs> is so over the top. I, I wish it was just fun enough I could just tell people to go watch it just to see him, but um, there's clips on YouTube, so if you want to just watch him given a speech at any point in the film uh that's kind of and just leave it there you don't have to watch the whole damn movie because the movie's long it's way over two hours i think i think it's 100 131 minutes or something it's insanely long film yeah for that genre and uh subject matter yeah, two yeah. hours is too long too long yeah. not, it would have been a great it could have been a great 90 film. so yeah i think there's potential there and they've talked about remaking this uh, down the road here because they want to tie it into Universal's uh, you know Monster Universe franchise that they're working on to have a Van, Van Helsing component. So I'm all for it. Like this is one of the few films that if they want to remake it, please. Like let's let's give let's get it to, uh, some talented people in here who can who can crank out something decent. Uh, I'm all for remaking this one. Not so much Legend of Hell House, but this one I, I can kind of get behind because I think it does have potential. I think there's a lot of fun here that uh, they they completely missed the boat on. Yeah, personally, I think get everyone from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen over into Van Helsing, have Sean Connery be teaching the oh, Tom yeah. Sawyer character to be the new Van Helsing or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you can, yeah, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot you can do. Um, and uh, like I said, after, yeah, I'd recommend, if you have not seen LXG, uh, you know, give it a look. I think it's a lot better film than people made it out to be. So um, I did skip this one. <laughs> yeah, LXG, I think, holds up pretty well. All right, so uh, if nothing else from this podcast, we have a new horror film we need to see and a suggestion to see something else instead of Van Helsing. So I think <laughs> I think we've done well here. Yeah, if you're a horror fan, please Legend of Hell House. If you're a Haunted House fan please seek it out. Stream it online I think it's three bucks or it might be free on YouTube at this point. It's a $6 DVD. You can find it just about anywhere. Uh, I, I can't recommend this highly enough. Uh, if you really like these old type of films and these type of atmosphere films with practical effects, guys. No CGI. <laughs> none. It's awesome. Yeah, and well, uh, I guess I'll make my usual recommendation when it comes to horror films. If you do like horror films and you like the tropes of it and films that slightly poke fun at it, do go and look out for Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It is a brilliant film that both makes fun of and uses traditional horror film tropes in a way to make you think you know what's going on when you don't. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. All right, well... As so, this has been a lot of fun. So, so, so thank you, Honor, for coming on. And why don't you just pimp your show out while you're here? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's so nice to go on a show where I don't have to talk about a shitty film for an hour and a half. <laughs> no, uh, just 15 minutes at the end. I get, yeah, yeah. I, just, <laughs> I get a nice break from uh, from the sludge that I have to. It, it's always like a week, and it's a mistake. I'm not. I, 
you know, we do the show, but uh, we're not all that cranky. Actually, we're incredibly passionate, like Mr. Hawkins here, about film, all types of films. So, you know, there's a lot of films we like. We don't just sit around watching <laughs> shitty films all the time. We actually do enjoy a, a wide variety of cinema. We can get, and, and it's even better, like, when you guys are listening and we're talking about how the, the passion that as a cross for having these, you know, for enjoying film and cinema. There's a lot of great stuff out there. There's a lot of crap, and, uh, you, you know, you can join. Speaking of that, you can catch us <laughs> at signalsoffury.com. The name of the show is Soiled Restroom Cinema. Myself and my lovely two co-cinematic flushers, uh, Killing Griffin and Nora Crest, every week we get on board there. We find a crappy film that is streaming online in the, in the bowels of Hollywood. We find it, we take it out, we play with it, and then we uh, thematically flush it down the cinematic bowl, never to be seen again. You can also, uh, like I said, go to SignalsFury.com. That's our home website, uh, home restroom, I should say, on the net. You can also uh, subscribe to us. Please subscribe, like, rate, and review it to it. We got it on iTunes. We're on Google Play Music for you Android users. Uh, we're on Stitcher, every other pretty streaming media outlet. Uh, you can check us out. We are on Facebook, Soiled Restroom Cinema. We're on Google Plus, Soiled Restroom Cinema. Follow us on Twitter, at Signals of Fury. Uh, there you go. Follow, and make sure you follow Mr. Hawkins, too. Uh, oh. His show is great here with Blokebusters. We love And Hawkins is over in our show. Yeah, this guy, he can't get enough. I, you know, I got to slum it over here in this show. And then he comes over and he slums it on our show. And he kills it. He, uh, in fact, I, what was the last one you did? You killed uh, it. The, uh, the last one that Freebirds, I was on with right? Freebirds, yeah. Yeah, if you haven't heard Freebirds, uh, it's the episode before this one was just released. I don't know the numbers. 111, I think, episode 111. Go check out Mr. Hawkins, some of his stuff over here. Uh, it's great to have him on the show. I, I appreciate you having me on this one. Oh, no, yeah. It's, it's long overdue at this point. <laughs> <laughs> when am I getting paid for this? That's all I want to know. I, I never said that. <laughs> God damn it. You're going to have 30 minutes of silence then. Yes, I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Honor. And I'm hoping that this will be the start of a really cool little subset of Film for Thoughts that we do. So please do follow us on Twitter at Blokebusters, Facebook.com slash Blokebusters. We're on Instagram as well. We don't really use it, but we're there. And we have a website, Blokebusters.webs.com. And... Until next time, I guess. See you, folks. <laughs>